In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Put all the kids up through the eighth grade, please come forward. Wow, that's good. <laughs> Did you color that? Did you draw on here? Nice job. So, I, you know what? This is a very special time. So it's not a religious holiday, but do you know what the name of the holiday is? What, do we, what is it? The, this is not the 4th of July. This is the 2nd of July. But the 4th of July is on Tuesday, right? What do we do on the 4th of July? Nice. That's nice. What, what kinds of things do we do on the 4th of July? What do we celebrate? Do you know what we're celebrating? Independence. Independence. From, from whom? Great Britain. Great Britain. You've been doing your studies, haven't you? Way to go. So, we, so July the 4th is the day we became a free country, right? And so we were no longer dependent on or ruled by another country. And so we are a free country. And that's great. And then we even have a flag. What, color, what colors are on our flag? Red, white, and blue. Red, white, and blue. Do you know what it stands for? Courage. Purity and justice, those things. Those, that's what the colors represent. Courage, purity, and justice. I like that. That's Betsy nice. Ross Betsy Ross. Yep. You read that book, didn't you? Yeah. Way to go. July the 4th, Independence Day, Betsy Ross, flag, purity, I mean, courage, purity, and justice. So is that where our hope is? Do you know, is our, is our hope and our freedom from this, for this nation, is that where our hope is, our ultimate hope? Or where does hope come from? Do you know? God. God. So where does true freedom come from? From our independence, from another country? Or does it come, our, our true freedom come from God? God. Our true freedom always comes from God. And uh, thank you so much. It looks nice. I like that. Did you do that? Good job. Good job. So our true freedom always comes from God. And so when we begin to look at things and put them in the wrong order, as if our true freedom comes from the country rather than from God, it messes us up. And so we've got to keep our eyes on God. Our true freedom came when Jesus died on the cross for us and set us free. Even though we're his servants, because he's our master, our true freedom came from Jesus Christ. But all these other freedoms that we have in, in our lives, like the freedom of our country, um, you know, those are wonderful and good, and we celebrate those things. But let's not ever take our eyes off of God, because God is where our true freedom comes from. Always. Always. Okay? Will you think about that? Hey, did, you, did you do this? That looks nice. Good job. Yeah, good job. 
All right, if you want to get a packet, you can get from Mr. Giesland Ge uh, over here. You can go you get a packet over there. You can go color. Okay, Father Larry. Thank you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, welcome on this Sunday before the 4th of July. We're blessed to be in this country. Thanks be to God. Well, our gospel today comes from the end of chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel. It's a very short gospel passage, which uh, pray, somewhat have a havoc for me to try to put something together. But nevertheless, God prevailed. And the passage, but it plays a very key role. It's short, but very important in this chapter. In chapter 10, 40 to 42, there's a major doctrinal message by Jesus here, only second probably to the one in chapter five, which is the Sermon on the Mountain uh, by Jesus. The previous chapter narrate various episodes of Jesus's ministry of teaching, healing, casting out demons, and raising the dead. Jesus looks at the crowds and has compassion on them because they are spiritually and physically worn out and most of all, helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He tells his disciples in chapter nine, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus evidently intends his disciples to be the answer to their own prayer. For at the beginning of chapter 10, he is sending them out giving them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to also cure every disease and every sickness. Jesus instructs the 12 to go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel at this time, and to proclaim the good news, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out the demons. The disciples are to act as emissaries of Jesus, extending his ministry, proclaiming the same good news and performing the same works of healing that he is doing. Jesus regularly refers to God as the one who sent me. And sending here refers to sending from the heavenly realm to become flesh and to dwell among us. The envoy represents the sender, so that to respond to Jesus is to respond to God. Do we extend the same sense of authority to the ones Jesus sent? That is certainly the logic of this verse and this way of thinking. It can also lead us into our own homegrown heresy when we forget that we are envoys and begin to think that we are God. Jesus' further instructions make it clear that the disciples are also to share in his poverty and homelessness, taking with them no money or extra clothing or, and depending solely on the hospitality of others for shelter and sustenance. Well, Franciscan spirituality 
as lived by St. Francis and St. Clair, exemplify Jesus' instructions to his disciples. Both saints and their respective orders embrace, till this day, lady poverty. Jesus also tells his disciples that they will not be welcomed everywhere, and they can expect to experience the same hostility Jesus often does, for he is sending them out like sheep into the midst of wolves. They can expect to encounter persecution and trials for a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. They need also to be prepared for painful division within families and to be willing to put Jesus's mission above family loyalty as our Father Stan eloquently preached on last Sunday. For all of this risk and suffering, Jesus promises those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Matthew, of course, is not only recalling Jesus' instruction to his first disciples, whom we know as apostles, but he is speaking to his own community of disciples a few generations later and also to us today. More than ever, the need still exists to send out laborers into the harvest to send missionaries out beyond the community into the perilous world. And those sent will still need to depend on the hospitality of others. Jesus says of those who enact such hospitality, whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. In the ancient world, it was understood that in showing hospitality, one welcomed not just an individual, but implicitly the community who sent the person and all that they represent. Therefore, welcoming a disciple of Jesus would mean receiving the very presence of Jesus himself and of the one who sent him, God the Father. Jesus' words are intended for all of us. That means every believer has the responsibility to extend hospitality, whether they have that spiritual gift or not. Well, Jesus continues, whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. The words prophet and righteous in Matthew often refer to the prophets and faithful servants we find in the Old Testament. But they can also refer to contemporary prophets and righteous Christians. It is not clear whether Matthew is referring to two distinct roles within the community or whether these are simply alternative ways of describing those sent out as missionaries. Jesus promises that those who minister to his apostles would be rewarded. There are many instances in Acts of the Apostles and other places in the New Testament of those that welcomed Paul and Peter and who received miraculous healings in their family, such as St. Peter raising Tabitha from the dead in Joppa, or Paul raising Plubius' father, Plubius' father from death in Malta. Elsewhere in Matthew, the prophets are told 
that they will receive persecution, rejection, and death. Not much of an incentive to become a minister of the word. Well, he also then follows with, however, Jesus tells him, rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Well, similarly, the righteous are promised that they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Finally, Jesus says, and whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of his disciple, truly I tell you, no, excuse me, none of these will lose their reward. Well, little ones often refers to children. But Matthew uses it to refer to Jesus' disciples here, especially those who are young in the faith or particularly vulnerable. The statement about giving a cup of cold water to one of these little ones foretells the parable that we find in Matthew 25 about the judgment. He says there, here the Son of Man say, says to the righteous, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. The righteous who attend to the needs of the little ones are told, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Those who welcome and care for the needs of the little ones welcome and care for Jesus himself. To receive Jesus is to receive the one who sent him and to become heirs of all that the Father has to give. Mercy and compassion are two of those spiritual gifts the Apostle Paul talks about, except Jesus commands all of us to show compassion and mercy in this passage. By doing these compassionate things for anyone and to everyone, we give witness to the unconditional love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sent by God, Jesus sends his disciple to participate in his mission of proclaiming in word, and more importantly, in deed, the good news of God's kingdom drawing near. Matthew assumes that the church is a sent church, a missionary church. There is simply no other way to be the church. There is growing awareness that mission is not just a program of the church, it is or ought to be the defining purpose of everything the church does. Our discipleship here at St. Francis emphasizes in the past few years specifically this need to go out and share the gospel within the community and outside. Perhaps we are not all sent to be wandering missionaries, depending on others to shelter and sustenance, but that doesn't mean we are off the hook. All baptized Christians are sent into the world to tell and embody the good news of Jesus Christ. All are sent to bear Christ to others with humility and vulnerability, being willing to risk rejection. We may not always receive such a positive response when we take the risk of reaching out. Yet, 
we may be surprised at how ready many are to receive our most humble efforts. Lest we forget what we have to offer, we have Jesus' promise. Whoever welcomes you, welcomes me. It is also worthy to note that Matthew's Gospel, we note that ordinary Christians get the same reward as the high flyers or the necessarily public officials of the church, like Paul and Peter. In chapter 10, verse 42, it speaks of little ones. This appears to be a term which, mem which with members of the community describe themselves. We're all children of God. Carrying within the community is also ministry. This trio of verses set side by side, welcoming Christ as the first, supporting ministry the second, and caring for one another. I will leave you with these three questions for you to ponder this week. One, what would happen if we stopped expecting people to come on their own initiative through our church doors and instead took seriously our calling to bring the gospel to them? What would happen if we truly believe that we bear the presence of Christ to every person we encounter in every home, workplace, or neighborhood we enter? Well, what would happen if we saw every conversation as an opportunity to speak words of grace, every interaction as an opportunity to embody Christ's love for the neighbor? Well, let us pray. Heavenly Father, pour forth your Holy Spirit to inspire us with these words from Holy Scripture so that we might truly believe in and live the good news and grant us the confidence to proclaim the good news to others. Amen.